And amen. All right, chapter 2, verse 17. Here's what God's word says. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Let's stop right there just for a moment. I want to draw our attentions back to verse 17. Um, Remember, the Apostle Paul is the one, um, him and his team, they were the ones that planted this church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is in modern-day Greece, the northern part of Greece, on the eastern side of the country. On the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, He had been there with these people for um, approximately a month. Three Sabbaths, we know for sure. He had spent a lot of time with them. In fact, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul reminds the church of what it was like when he came there, when they shared the Word of God and they received the Word of God and they got radically born again, radically changed, these precious people. They turned from their idols, they turned from, from the sin they were involved in, and they turned to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to put their faith in him and him alone. And so Paul, you remember in Acts chapter 17, after he had been there, he got run out of town. The persecution became so bad that himself and uh, Silas and Timothy ended up leaving, heading southbound from Thessalonica, ending up in Berea. From Berea, they went on to Athens in southern Greece, and then finally on to Corinth. And so as we read here, we, we sense the Apostle Paul's heart for the people, for the precious people that he had been involved in. And so let's look at this. He had been gone. He couldn't get back. So let's break it down and see what he says in verse 17 to begin. He says, but we brethren, family, listen, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence. He's saying here, listen, we've been separated physically, but not in heart. Our hearts, our lives have been so connected together by the Lord. We are longing to see you. We are longing 
to, to hear what's going on in your lives, how you're doing in your walk with Jesus. And I would say that should be our heart for everyone, shouldn't it, in the body of Christ? Having that connection, having that, that fellowship. In fact, Jesus prayed, remember in John 17, Jesus prayed that we would be one, I think it's three times or four times, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That we would be so connected in our fellowship as a family, in our relationships together, as close, how close is the Father and the Son? They're they're close, aren't they? Jesus prayed we would be the same, we would have that same type of fellowship, that same type of connection as well. And Jesus went on to say that it would be a testimony to the entire world that the Father sent the Son to give his life for us. Have you ever thought about that? Our fellowship, our unity, our oneness together being a testimony to a lost and dying world out there. Well, we sense the Apostle Paul's heart for the people in these verses, don't we? As we read this, he goes on and says, we eagerly, we've endeavored to get to you. We've tried to get to you. We've done everything we could. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying this, you guys? I think, I think for one reason is that there may have been people saying, Paul doesn't care about you. They don't give a rip. They haven't come back. What's going on? Where's Paul? Because the Apostle Paul, no doubt, experienced persecution behind his back also. They were talking trash about him, right? He's not legit. He's bogus. And in chapter 2, he reminded them of what his ministry, his character, everything was like when he was there. And no doubt people are saying, if Paul really cared, he'd be here with you. If Paul was really involved in your life, intimately intimately connected with you, he would be there with you. And that happens in the church sometimes, doesn't it? We think, he doesn't really care about me. She doesn't really care about me. They never called. They never reached out. And maybe something happened. Like Paul communicates here, they couldn't get there. They couldn't get back. And it says, let's look at it. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul... More than once, time and again. So at least two times, right, Paul wanted to get back to these precious people. But what happened? Notice what it says. Satan hindered us. So that tells us something, doesn't it? Sometimes the devil gets in the way. And I can't go anything beyond that. Because I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't tell us how they were hindered, how that rolled out. Here's what I do know. People say all that they blame the devil on a lot of stuff, don't they? The devil made me do it. And it was the devil. I couldn't do this because of the devil. I don't know what the percentages are, by the way. How much is because we live in a fallen world? How much because I'm a knucklehead and do dumb things and say dumb things? No amens? Pastor, we hear dumb things from you all the time. (laughs) Right? I mean, we do dumb stuff. We say dumb stuff. But there is a very real enemy. We are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they are mighty in God. And so we know as we continue to read this letter, the Apostle Paul um, continued to pray night and day. He was a man of prayer. 
praying and seeking the Lord, and, 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 and he communicates his desire to them, telling them, listen, we wanted to get there time and time again, and we couldn't get there, and so what did we do? We sent Timothy. Timothy was able to get to you. Timothy was able to make it to Thessalonica, and we're going to read later in this chapter that he brought back a report of what it was like when he went there. So Paul says, listen, I do care about you. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? And he answers it with a question. He answers that, is, not, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I think the first thing to bring up is, again, the Apostle Paul's love and care for these precious people that he had poured his life into. But also, can I remind us this morning that Jesus is coming? This is, I don't believe this is talking about his second coming. When Jesus comes as conquering king to set up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom, I don't think that's what this is talking about. I think what this is talking about is the rapture of the church, which we're going to read about in a couple of chapters, in chapter 4, to get more information. And so Jesus will come for his bride. Mass evacuation. He is coming for us to take us home to be with him. Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus' return for us is imminent, gang. Any minute, any minute he's coming for us, his bride. And Paul reminds the church here of that. And he does it really, he does it at the end of every chapter, by the way. He gives that little reminder of the Lord's coming, the Lord's return. But he says here, what is our hope? Our hope is what? Of seeing you with Jesus when he comes. That no one misses out, that we're all on board, that everyone in the church there at Thessalonica, at Calvary Chapel Thessalonica, and everyone in the church there, and I would say here this morning, that we are there with the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. The blessed hope that we have, our Lord showing up, appearing, and taking us to the Father's house. He says, that's our hope. That's our joy. How exciting it's going to be, the rejoicing that's going to go on when we are finally together as a family with our Jesus. And not only that, you are our crown of rejoicing. And by the way, Jesus has crowns to give out, doesn't he? And the Bible speaks of us returning those crowns to his feet in worship. How beautiful is that? Because we don't deserve them. It's by his grace that we get rewarded by our king. But it's interesting that Paul says, you are our crown of rejoicing. 
In fact, maybe one of the crowns that Paul and the team get are, are because of this church, because of this work that happened there. And I think Paul is proud of them. I think that's what he's saying. We could, because we wear stuff when we're proud, don't we, of things? I saw first service, lots of Houston Astros gear. I know you're proud of your team. My team, too. Except when it gets to playoff time and they're not in there. And then what do you do? You start wearing A&M stuff or whatever. <laughs> Just kidding. If you're LSU stuff, yeah. But, but Paul's like, even now, you're, you're our, you are our glory. Last verse, is that what he says? You are our glory. Man, we celebrate what God's doing in your lives. We're so proud of, of what God is doing in your lives. And through you and in Thessalonica, remember their faith had gone out, was booming. People were hearing about their walk, their witness, and the word of God booming out of Thessalonica and, and, and throughout the, the, the ancient world. And Paul's like, man, we are so proud of what God's doing in your lives. We're so excited. We're rejoicing in that. That's, we want to get to see you. We've tried to get to see you. Therefore, look at the next verse. In light of that, when we could no longer endure, we couldn't take it any longer, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And what did they do? And sent Timothy. And I love what, how Paul writes here about Timothy. It's like Timothy checks off all the boxes. It's interesting. He says, our brother, a minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So, so he, Paul identifies Timothy. Why does he do that? I mean, don't they know that already? He's, he's your brother. He's our family member. But what else does he say about him? He says, minister, of, what's a Minister. Servant. A servant, check it out, a servant lives to make other people's lives better. He's a servant of the Lord. His life was given over to what? To serving the Lord by serving others. By ministering to people and, and caring for people and sharing with people. And then he also says he's our what? Our fellow laborer. If you're a laborer, does that mean you sit around and do not a whole lot? If you're a laborer, what does that mean? You work hard. He's like, he's a team player. He's a fellow laborer. He's a guy that puts his hand to the plow, doesn't look back in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think there's something else in that verse that I, I hope we don't miss. It says that Timothy was sent. That means he was willing to be sent. Do you know how many people are unwilling to be sent? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are shaking your head, smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Unwilling to be sent. And he would go from, Timothy would go from the fire, is it the fire into the frying pan? Is that the saying? Or something like that, the frying pan to the fire, something like that. He's going to go from a place of difficulty into another place of difficulty. Of heavy, what happened there earlier when they were there their first time, it was heavy. Their lives were on the line. And Paul's saying, I want you to go back, Timothy. And what does Timothy say? No way, man. Does he say that? I'm not going back to help them. New it's a new believer's class. 
It's like children's ministry. He's willing to go, isn't he? Why am I bringing that up? Because when you, when you think of David in the Old Testament, you, you don't need to scream it out, but what do you think of when you hear David? I don't know about you, but so often when someone asks me that, I say Goliath or a man for God's own heart. Do you know that David would have never slayed Goliath if he wasn't a servant? If he wasn't willing to be sent? You guys remember how that rolled out? You guys remember? Remember David was the worship leader? In Saul's place, when Saul got all funky and edgy, remember when he was all tweaked? Envy, jealousy, rage, unstable the dude was, remember? And then what would happen? David would break out his guitar, plug it in. No, it was acoustic. It was acoustic jam, and then Saul would mellow out. You guys remember that? But every once in a while, he would have to go home to Jesse, his dad's, ranch to take care of the sheep, correct? You guys remember this for Samuel? He would go home, take care of the sheep for his dad, make sure everything's dialed in at the ranch. But to the front lines and find out how your brothers are doing in the war, in the battle against the Philistines. And David, I want you, I want you to deliver the 10 cheeses and the 10 loaves, whatever. These hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Did David do it? He could have said, whoa, whoa, time out, Dad. I don't, I'm not a delivery boy. That's for servants. Don't you remember the whole oil on the head thing, Samuel? Do you remember that? Anointed king. Kings don't deliver stuff. Kings don't get sent. Kings send. But David was willing to be sent to be a delivery boy, to perform a menial task, to bless others, to serve others, to make others' lives better. And what happened when he did, when he was faithful to do that? He got the opportunity. And God used him mightily and powerfully. And God would use this young man, Timothy, Right, Even though he was a little timid, Timothy the timid Turk, right? He was a little timid, we learn from 2 Timothy, but he was willing to do what Paul had asked him to, ultimately what the Lord called him to do. And I love what he's called here, not only a family member, but also a fellow laborer, a servant, a minister of God. And what did he come to do? Two things, look what it says in the verse. He came to do two things. Number one, to establish them. Is that what it says? Uh, to establish them. What does it mean to establish somebody? That word establish in the Greek means to, to strengthen. Sterizo. It means to strengthen, to make firm, to keep someone going in the right direction. And sometimes we need, don't we need that? Sometimes, so here's the deal, sometimes we're called to, do, to go to strengthen others, to comfort them, encourage them, but sometimes we need to be strengthened. 
We need to be encouraged, don't we? We need to be comforted. It's important to understand that. Because none of us, I don't think anybody's arrived spiritually here. Has anybody arrived spiritually? Are we all in need of being strengthened? Even the Apostle Paul said that. I have not arrived spiritually. I haven't attained. I'm not there yet. So we all need to be strengthened. And there's times we do all need to be comforted, don't we? No? We do? Do you guys know? You're with me still this morning. There's times we need to be comforted. But sometimes God calls us to be the strengtheners and the comforters. In fact, it's the Lord ultimately who strengthens us. We're told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, listen to what it says. 3, 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Isn't that beautiful? So ultimately, it's the Lord, but he wants to use us as instruments in his hands sometimes, like Timothy here, to strengthen one another, to build up one another, to, to firm up. Sometimes we get spiritual flabbiness too, don't we? Is that, is that a word, flabbiness? We get soft. That's a better word. Yes, better word, yes. Sometimes we get soft spiritually. We need to get firmed up and be reminded to keep going the right direction following Jesus especially in light, the context is in the light of difficulty, of afflictions, of suffering, of difficulty. We need to be reminded to be built up and to be strengthened. And so, in fact, and there's times we need to do it ourselves. David, remember David also, after Ziklag, that whole incident, he strengthened himself in the Lord when he was about to get hit with rocks by his own guys. And so there's times we need to just strengthen ourselves. And if we're not strengthening ourselves, we can't strengthen anybody else. And so Timothy goes to strengthen them, and what's the next thing he went to do? And to encourage them concerning their faith. And that word, encourage, so beautiful. It means to come alongside and to comfort. It also means to charge. It means to counsel. It's the same root word we get, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who leads us and guides us in all truth. In fact, are we called to encourage one another? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. There's a warning here. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort or encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The author of Hebrews would later say in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 10, he's going to use the same word here, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That sounds like Timothy, right? Stirring up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, there's our word, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see the Lord's return drawing nearer and nearer, closer and closer, and I think he's coming any minute. We are called to encourage, exhort, come alongside one another. Listen, if we have to come, if we're commanded to come alongside one another, 
how are we doing? How are we doing in that department? This is crucial. As we see the Lord's return, that tells me we need one another. And if you're not here, if you're not involved, if you're not connected, then we miss out. We miss out on what you have to offer on what God wants to do through your life. And so sometimes we are the givers, sometimes we are the receivers of these things. And so Paul reminds them, listen, we've sent Timothy to you, and here's why. To strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith. And no doubt he pointed them to the word of God, by the way, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He didn't just come in and give him like a personal pep talk and, hey, hang in there. No doubt he gave them the word of God, which has the power, the DNA to change our lives, to strengthen us and to comfort us. Well, notice what he says. Why? Three, that's a reason word, verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Every time I read that word shaken uh, in the Bible, it reminds me, you guys ever see like, what are those little uh, chihuahuas when they're nervous? <laughs> big, big old eye, like, you know what I'm talking about? You ever see that? Paul's like, we, we don't want anybody to be shaken by the afflictions, the, the pressure, the, the, the difficulty. The gnarly situations, gnarly things you're going through. That no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Did you know, brother or sister, this morning that we have an appointment with afflictions? There were, I didn't hear any amens when I read that. I maybe, no, there was one. I heard one. They're coming. If not already right now, they are coming. Just like the mosquitoes of Houston. We have some newbies from... East Coast, West Coast, and they haven't experienced the affliction of the Houston mosquitoes yet. <laughs> right? Correct? They're gnarly, aren't they? They, like, just get in your house. How do they even get in the house, man? They're chewing up your leg. It's... They suck the life out of you, right? And then they leave you feeling good. Oh, thank you. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, it was painful. Afflictions. We're, listen, we are appointed afflictions. But here's the deal. And Paul taught them about afflictions. He ministered to them and told them about afflictions. And I know in the United States church, we don't like to hear about that. We want a nice message and hear about nice things and unicorns and rainbows and tiptoe through the tulips and, and hold hands and sing kumbaya. But the reality is is that Jesus said it was difficult if we chose to follow him. His way is narrow. We live in a fallen world. If we choose to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. We will experience afflictions. But listen, 
It says in Psalm 34, many, many are the afflictions of a righteous man, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. How about that? Let that one just kind of wash over you this morning. As David is on the run from King Saul 10 to 15 years, in the midst of his afflictions, what's coming out? These beautiful psalms after his blunders, after his mistakes. He looks back and says, when I am afraid, I will trust you, Lord. Man, I've been afflicted a whole lot, but I know you'll deliver me out of all of them. And listen, the Lord will deliver. And I know there's many of us dealing with afflictions here this morning. The Apostle Paul spoke about afflictions, didn't he, in his, in his life? In fact, he, he, 2 Corinthians, God gave him so many amazing things in his life, so many things that Paul received from heaven, revelation and wisdom and insight into the word, amazing experiences. God worked through Paul's life beginning in Acts 9. Just like us, we've received a lot from heaven, have we not? And Paul was like, he, he recognized the affliction he was going through was not some random occurrence, not some coincidence, but he said, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I get puffed up with pride and become unusable in the Lord's hands, the Lord gave me a thorn in my flesh. You guys ever get a thorn in your flesh? Like a fit, like... Like a little teeny, a little teeny one hurts a lot, doesn't it? The, the word in, in Greek is a tent peg in the flesh. Something physical, we're not told what it is, otherwise we'd be comparing thorns with one another. But we're not told what it is, but painful, painful affliction, and along with it came a messenger of Satan to buffet me, Paul said. So along with the thorn came a demon. And what is Satan all about? Lie. He's a father of lies. Steal, kill, destroy. So along with the pain of whatever it was he was dealing with, came a demon, whatever that looked like, lying to him, lying about God, blaspheming. And listen, some of you know exactly what that's like, too. You're doing what's right in God's eyes. You're doing your best to be obedient to the word of God. And you are going through suffering. You're going through affliction. And you're wondering, what in the world did I do? What did I do wrong? And the devil is there and saying, what? If God really loved you, then why are you going through this? If you're really his child... God really loved you, Mike, then why did he give you a special needs child and take away fatherhood?
God really loves you. Why is he allowing you to go through that? That tragedy, that suffering, that issue. Heavy, isn't it? When we start to think about it. What did Paul do? He did what we typically do, don't we? As Christians, help, Lord, Lord, take this thing from me. Lord, set me free. Get this affliction. Get this person out of my life. You ever pray that? (gasps) Can we, are we real in church? Let's be real. Haven't you prayed? Maybe some of us have even tried. No amens. That's okay. That's, That's good. Remove this from me three times. We don't know if it was three days, three hours, three months, three years. Oh, Lord, please get rid of it. Move this. Get it out of my life. You know, someone else prayed that too. Father, if this cup can pass for me three times. Dad, take this cup. Nevertheless, let your will be done. And what did Jesus say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul's like, yes. The Lord didn't give me what I wanted. He gave me something way better. He said, no, and what I got in return was way better. Because for the rest of his entire life, he applied that, what Jesus ministered to him and what Jesus gave him the rest of his life. Whether it's in tribulations, whether it's in afflictions, I will, thank you, Lord. I will boast in those. Why? Because when I'm weak, he's strong. When an affliction comes, I just get my eyes on Jesus, Lord. You're gonna, I know you're going to... Sh- if you don't remove this, Lord, then I know you're going to give me the grace that's sufficient and the strength that I would stay in a place where your anointing is on my life, broken before you, where I can be used by you. Not getting swollen with pride but looking to your sufficiency continually. Wow. And Paul's reminding them, listen, I taught you this. I shared these things with you. Man, we're appointed to afflictions. That's an appointment we got. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened And you know, we told you that tribulation would be coming, just like Jesus did. Didn't Jesus tell us that too? In this world, you will have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer. Why? Jesus said, because I've overcome this world. Rejoice. The one that overcame the world is the one living in your heart and in my heart. The greatest Christian that ever lived is living in us to help us. To get through the suffering. And if suffering was good enough for the son, guess who else it's good enough for? 
It's the tool, listen, it is one of the tools that God uses. I think it's one of the major tools he uses, uh, uses that God uses in his divine plan to make us more like Jesus, to be conformed to his image. And so we embrace it. Okay, Lord. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, Paul says, I couldn't take it any longer, man. I sent to know your faith. If you're still walking by faith, the just shall live by faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul's labor in vain was a real concern for him. He says that on a number of different occasions in the New Testament. He did not want the the people, the precious people he was involved in, to see God's work in them be for nothing. I think it's, man, such the heart of a pastor. And he says, I said, when we couldn't bear it any longer, I sent to you, we sent Timothy to you to see how you're doing in the faith department. And this is interesting because back to the Garden of Gethsemane for a moment, when Jesus was with his guys, what did he tell them to do? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That tells us something, doesn't it? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. What was the temptation then that all of the disciples, the 11 that were there, would face? What's the temptation that is common to every one of us here this morning? And you know what it is? It's not to trust the Lord. To not trust the Lord. Paul says, I've I sent to see how you're doing in your faith. Lest the te- that gives us another insight. The devil tries to what? To destroy our, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, to de- derail our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. Like we have to see that, guys. If something is picking away at my faith, if someone is jacking with my faith, guess what, man? Time out. <laughs> That's not heavenly stuff. That's straight, that's demonic, earthly, sensual stuff. The tempter, tempting. Remember Peter. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, This night, I tell you, the shepherd's going to get struck and the sheep are going to scatter. You guys remember that? Remember what Peter said? They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, by the way. Peter, Peter said, not me, Lord. These bozos, yeah. Remember, I'm rocky. I'm stable, strong. I, you know, I just found out I was studying. You know when roosters cock-a-doodle-doo? You guys ever heard that? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. At your house, you got them. <laughs> you know why they do that? One of the reasons? 
to show how proud they are. I never knew that because I'm a beach boy, not a country boy. <laughs> but remember the whole cock-a-doodle-doo thing with Peter. But Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, go and strengthen your brethren. Jesus is like, Peter, Satan has asked for you. And isn't that interesting? Just to consider, I mean, we see the book of Job too. Everything that happens to God's children has to pass through a father filter. I, for me, that's a beautiful reminder. To sift you as wheat. What does it mean to sift as wheat? It re- when you sift wheat, it removes the husk from the, from the wheat, from the meat. The, the, the good stuff from the bad stuff. And sifting, apparently, is sometimes necessary in our lives. That would be an affliction, wouldn't it? Sifting is sometimes necessary in our lives. What would be sifted from Peter's life that night? His pride? Bring him to a place of brokenness and humility before the Lord? Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Do you know the Lord's praying for you and I right now? He ever lives to make intercession for us. And then Jesus says something remarkable. He says, when you've returned to me, and that's always where revival starts. You guys ever blow it? Don't be lying in church. We blow it, don't we? It's it's always about coming back to Jesus. Jesus. Return to me. Repent. You have a change of heart, change of mind. Confess, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Man, I bailed out. I was in an affliction. Man, I've been afflicted. I bailed out on you, Lord. That's what the tempter does. Jesus spoke about it. The sower. The sower sowing the seeds, right? Remember that? The sower. The sow. Remember that? Four conditions of the heart. First one, the seed, the word of God hits the heart, gets snatched away by Satan. Very real spiritual element, Satan ripping off the word of God from our hearts. Number two, the stony ground, right? Hear the word of God. It's too hot. They are persecuted for the word's sake. What happens? The Bible says Jesus said they fall away. One of the, I can't remember which gospel it says. One of the gospel writers says, lest they be saved. Paul's concerned about these people, that that would happen to them. Maybe the fruitfulness choked out by the, the thorns. And he's going to find out. We're going to have to wait till next week to find out how it rolls out. But maybe, listen, maybe in your life, you've, 
You're barely hanging on. You're afflicted and you're about to bail out. You've come to the right place this morning. To be reminded, you need to come back to Jesus. Just like Peter. Jesus said, when you've returned to me, now here's what I want you to do. Go and strengthen your brethren. And didn't he do that? He didn't change gods. He didn't start worshiping Molech or Baal. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Not that you wouldn't be sifted, but that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned to me, go and strengthen your brethren. Is Peter still strengthening us today, this morning? Read 1 Peter. Read 2 Peter. Many of the things he communicates reflects his time with Jesus. So what's in this for me? What's the takeaway for me, Pastor? If you're here this morning uh, and you're afflicted and you're in need of comfort, when we get done, I want to pray for you. I want to challenge us too this morning because maybe the Lord wants to use your life even in your affliction. Maybe you're not afflicted. Maybe Maybe you're on the mountaintop, man. You're cruising high, you know, doing great. But we are called, listen, to build up and strengthen one another. And not only that, we're called to comfort one another. Well, I don't know if I have what it takes. Listen, we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've been given the Holy Spirit, our helper. Not only that, we can be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit this morning to be empowered to do what he's calling us to do. To be his witnesses. Have you ever been comforted by the Lord? I'm going to finish with this because I'm out of time. Anybody here? Has anybody here not been comforted by the Lord? If you haven't, come up, come up afterwards. We'll pray for you. I would, I would, I would venture to say, I, I think it's a safe safe to assume maybe that everyone here has been comforted by the Lord? Yeah? Pretty much? Okay. On the same page? Still with me? We'll get you out of here. Get your Costco samples. They'll still be there. Last, last point. That was like 15 points, dude. Last point. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. How much is all? He comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? So we be comfort hoarders? Listen to what he says. That reason word that we may be able, you got the ability that we may be able to what? To comfort those who are in any trouble with what? With the trouble, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that beautiful? You're equipped. If you have suffered and been comforted by the Lord, if you've gone through difficulty and you've been comforted by the Lord, guess what? You're equipped. 
to bring comfort to someone else in the body of Christ, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, to look to his empowering to help you to do it. But listen, there is no excuse for not doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's so easy, it's so easy in our culture to be consumer Christians. I come in, I get what I want, I'm out of here. Listen, I get it. Getting fed, getting nourished, you're, you're ready to roll. But listen, God wants to use your life in a special way to minister to one another within the body of Christ. And we try to give as many opportunities as possible for us to do that. But now it's like the ball's in your court, man. Step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm going to do what your word says. And what happens? You experience his power to be able to do that. And who gets the glory? He gets the glory. Isn't that who should get the glory? Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank